<clears throat> you can turn to Colossians, if you would, Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I developed a lump in my throat, and it got bad enough that I was taking a pill every day, and I couldn't even swallow the pill. Uh, I had difficulty speaking, frequently would lose my voice for a day or so, and with the history of cancer in my family, uh, my family of origin, everyone died of cancer. I thought I'd better see a doctor. So while he was examining me, he asked if I had heartburn, and I told him no. Did I suffer from acid reflux? No. Turns out I was wrong. I did have acid reflux. I just didn't know it. I probably lived with it since I was a boy. At least that's how I understand it now. But I didn't recognize the symptoms for what they were. To me, that, this is just normal. As far as I knew, this was the way it was for everyone. If I were to ask you today if some of you have problems with bitterness, some of you would surely say no, even though you do. And you wouldn't be trying to mislead me any more than I was trying to mislead my doctor. It's just that you've lived with the symptoms for so long, you don't recognize them for what they are. So let me mention just a few of them. Symptoms of bitterness. Being stuck in sinful habits. There's a connection between habitual sins and bitterness. St. Peter describes Simon of Cimmeria as full of bitterness and captive to sin. The two are related to each other. Trouble sleeping. Reluctance to attend certain functions, family reunions, church gatherings, work events, because there are people there that you don't want to see. Those people may not even know that there's a problem, but you do. Trouble praying. Either you don't see answers to your prayers, you pray and you never see any answers, or you simply don't pray. It wasn't without reason that Jesus said, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. Bitterness over the past will compromise our ability to trust God for the future. Another symptom, feeling distant from God. That's related often to bitterness. If you do not forgive men their sins, this is how Jesus comments on the, the Lord's Prayer. For if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Um, a sharp tongue, another symptom. Bitterness is the whetstone on which a tongue is sharpened. Often people consider a sharp tongue to be witty or funny, but it comes out of bitterness, not out of humor. I've heard this is often true of professional comedians. Bitterness is taken root in their souls. <clears throat> My doctor put me on medication for a while, which helped while I was taking it, but when I stopped, the symptoms returned. Six months ago, I was having significant trouble preaching two services. I'd pretty much lose my voice the rest of the day, every Sunday. I couldn't sing, which is really distressing for me. A couple of people from church told me that in their cases, acid reflux led to Barrett's esophagus, which is a precancerous condition. So I took steps to deal with it. I went back to the doctor. I used medication when it was appropriate. We raised the head of our bed. I stopped eating before bedtime. I've been doing that since I was a teenager or just a child. And so that one was tough. Knowing that coffee 
aggravates acid reflux? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, oh God, don't let it be. I cut back to three, three and a half cups of coffee a day. Now to you that may not sound like much, but I was drinking 10 cups a day for years and years and years. How could I stop drinking coffee? It's part of me. Now, <clears throat> bitterness and resentment may be a part of you. It provides a necessary distraction from your own wrongs. It steals you against the reproach of otherness. Bitterness has given you a keen wit, and your sense of humor developed around it. Your powers of intuition, your ability to read between the lines, grew out of it. It shaped who you are. So how can you stop it? Well, I made changes in my situation because I didn't want to have a sore throat every day for the rest of my life, and I, because I want to sing, and because proclaiming the good news about Jesus was more important to me than drinking coffee. What will motivate you to take care of bitterness? Will you take care of it so that you can go places without worrying about who you're going to run into there? Will you take care of it so that your humor is fun rather than hurtful? Will you deal with bitterness before anger flare-ups cost you your family? If you keep on regurgitating the evil done to you, that bile will eat away at your soul. You will not be the person you could be, the person God made you to be if you don't forgive. Forgiveness, a regimen of forgiveness that will take time to complete, is the treatment for bitterness. Now let me set this up for you. Someone, someone close to you does something selfish or even malicious to you. You can hardly believe it. I mean, a sibling manipulates the inheritance in his or her favor. A wife tells you she hates you. A husband is unfaithful. A child tells you she's spending the night at a friend's house but lies. A parent utterly humiliates you in front of your friends. At first you're so angry that you can't even think about forgiving. But as time goes by, the Spirit of God keeps telling you, you need to forgive. You hear people talking about it when you turn on the Christian radio station. You read it in a book, in the book. The meddling pastor talks about it from the pulpit. But whenever you think of what he or she or they did to you, you feel the anger and hurt rise up inside. That's when you think, he or she doesn't deserve forgiveness. And you know what? You're absolutely right. And you're absolutely wrong. Wrong in the way you're thinking. The question is not whether he or she deserves forgiveness. No one deserves forgiveness. If they did, they wouldn't need it. Sin deserves punishment, not forgiveness. So don't fash yourself over whether or not the person who hurt you deserves it. That's just a smokescreen. The real question is, do you want to live and maybe die under the weight of unforgiveness? Do you want to displease your loving Heavenly Father and be in conflict with Him? Do you want to lose your own sense of freedom and reconciliation because if you won't forgive, that's what's going to happen. That's the way it works. That's the way we're made. 
So don't waste your time asking whether the person deserves forgiveness. A thousand years can pass, and not even the least sin will ever deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness is never based on the offender's merit, but on the forgiver's grace. And don't waste time asking whether you can forgive. Just get busy becoming the kind of person who can. Look, when you're trapped in anger, rage, and malice, forgiveness is going to be beyond not only your ability, but beyond your desire. So the thing to do is get out of that trap. Set about becoming the kind of person for whom forgiveness is not only possible, but natural the kind of person who's like Jesus. This is possible. Because you haven't been able to forgive in the past doesn't mean that you won't be able to in the future. But to get there, you need, first of all, to own your unforgiveness and stop blaming it on the person you resent. He or she can neither make you a forgiving person nor make you an unforgiving one. That's up to you. But there's truth available and steps you can take to becoming a forgiving person. Let me outline them from our text. It's Colossians 3. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. To become the kind of person who can forgive, you need to know when, where, and who you are. First, you need to know when you are. You are not in the past, when the offense took place. You are in the now. You're not living the life you once lived. That all changed when you gave your life to God and started following Jesus. Understand, that was a, that was a continental divide in your life. That was a huge change. In verse 7, Paul says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but you're not living that life anymore. You're not that person anymore. Ever since you trusted in Christ, you've been a new creation. Now, if you haven't given your life to God and your allegiance to Jesus, that's another matter. If you're still living the life you once lived, if you're not a new creation in Christ, you don't possess the resources that are available to a Christ follower, resources that are needed to be able to forgive. Let's go on, verse 8. But now, now that everything's changed, you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self 
with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Remind yourself of when you are. Live in the now where God's grace is available to you and not in the past where the offense is insurmountable. Listen, when you're living in the past, you're not going to find God's grace there. Get rid of the past of anger, rage, malice. If you live there, you'll never be able to forgive. Live in the now. So first, know when you are. Second, know where you are. You are in the kingdom of light. Look at verse 11. Here, and in Greek, the word the NIV translates here is literally where. Where there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You have been rescued. Paul says this back in chapter 1, verse 13 from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's where you are now, in the kingdom of the Son. The culture in that kingdom is very different from the culture of the kingdom of darkness, where unforgiveness is either unknown or mocked as weakness. But in the kingdom of light, forgiveness is the law of life. So know where you are. Then know who you are. This is verse 12. You are the elect, the chosen of God. Your life means something. You are part of something bigger than yourself and bigger than the injury that you suffered. Don't make that your identity. You are God's chosen, holy, dearly loved people. So act like it. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. That's how God's people dress. His closet is full of compassion and kindness and patience, and it's even in your size, and you have access to it. And a person who begins to dress his or her soul in these clothes wouldn't be caught dead in unforgiveness. It just looks awful to them. Now, it's important to realize that all this comes before what Paul says in verse 13. You take verse 13 out of his context, say, you you need to forgive as the Lord forgave you, and you remove it from what precedes it, you're not going to have the resources to be forgiving. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Until you know when you are and where you are and who you are. Forgiveness is going to be difficult, maybe impossible. And let me say this. You are not where you should be, when you should be, or who you should be until you are whose you should be. God's person trusting his or her life to Jesus Christ. When you are God's person, you can learn to forgive. And there is some learning involved in this. Many of us have very wrong ideas about forgiveness that are keeping us from what St. Paul calls the glorious freedom that God intends for us. If you're not gloriously free, you're not where God wants you to be. And unforgiveness will chain you. If you believe forgiveness is something that it's not, you're not going to be able to give it. So notice that the standard for our forgiveness is God's forgiveness. Paul tells us in verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
we forgive as he forgave. He says elsewhere, this is Ephesians 4.32, that we are to be forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Did you catch that? God forgave us in Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. He meets us in the person and presence of Christ. If we're to forgive as he forgave, we'll need to do likewise. Here's one of the keys to forgiveness and to loving, healthy relationships in general. Learn to encounter every person you meet in the presence of Christ. Invite Christ into all your relationships. It's not only necessary to come to God through Christ, but to come to each other through Christ as well. That transforms relationships. What's impossible when it's just you, forgiveness is one example, is possible when there are two of you, especially when one is Jesus. So learn to come to each other through Christ. Next, understand that forgiving as God forgave never means, this is a huge one for people, forgiving as God forgave never means minimizing the seriousness of sin. God does not say about sin, Oh, don't worry about it. No big deal. It's such a big deal. He sent his only begotten son on a mission that meant certain death so that we could be rescued from sin and reconciled to him. God did not shrug off the seriousness of sin, and neither can we. If we think that forgiving the person who abused us, lied to us, stole from us, or betrayed us is going to require us to say, it's no big deal. We're never going to be able to do it. We know it's a big deal. Everything inside us tells us this is a big deal and that the person who did it is culpable. We need to realize that the very act of forgiveness implies that this is a big deal. It does matter. Here's something else about the way the Lord forgave us. When he forgave us, he did not place us on probation. Rather, he forgave all our sins, Paul said in the previous chapter. We don't forgive others as the Lord forgave us when we offer forgiveness conditionally on the condition that the offender's future behavior remains acceptable to us, which is what some people do in order to control that other person. Or alternately, they withhold forgiveness or they bring up the past whenever a person isn't doing what he or she wants. This is particularly tempting to parents who are looking for a way to control their kids. They almost, but never quite, let their kid off the hook. But that kind of carrot and stick approach to forgiveness will backfire. When the kid gives up, and he will give up, when he gives up, the relationship will crumble, and it might not ever be put back together again. Let me give you another wrong idea that gets in the way of forgiving as the Lord forgave. We think that if we truly forgive, we will also forget. Or inversely, when we're the one needing forgiveness, we demand that the other person forget our sin. We think that forgiveness means the bad feelings disappear, the relationship is reconciled as if nothing ever happened. And yes, that is possible, but it doesn't 
always or even often work that way. But isn't that just what God does? Doesn't he forget our sins? And if we're going to forgive like he forgave, don't we have to do the same? Isn't that what the Bible says? I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more? No, it's not. I mean, that is a Bible verse, but there's an important difference between forgetting and not remembering. See, in the Hebrew mindset, to remember was something active, something one did, not something one couldn't help but do. See the difference? Let me give you an example. Every year when the Hebrews remembered, as the Lord commanded them to do, their escape from Egypt at the Passover, they reenacted it. When they remembered their wilderness wanderings, which they also did annually, they relived it by making makeshift dwelling places, tents, for lack of a better word, in which they lived for a whole week. Every week when they remembered that the Lord rested on the seventh day, they stopped working and they reenacted what he did. To not remember was a very different thing than just to forget. God does not suffer amnesia. He doesn't say to himself, oh, I know Glenn did something that I could nail him on if I could just remember what it was. No, when he forgives, he chooses not to recall to his mind what Glenn or you or I did. He chooses not to recall our sins to our harm. If in order to forgive, I have to forget what you did, I'm in trouble. It'll take a bottle of sleeping pills for me to forgive you. But that's not the way God forgives. He chooses not to recall our sins. When we forgive, we do the same thing. We don't forget what happened just because we forgive. We don't cease to feel the pain. Our trust in the other person is not automatically restored, but we do choose not to recall the offender's sin in order to harm him or her, even in our own minds. Let's say you still feel pain from a sin done to you by a spouse, even though the sin was forgiven. You've forgiven the sin, but you still feel the pain. The offense was set right, but the pain continues. But isn't that like what happens when we go to the doctor for surgery? He sets the problem right, but we still hurt after the trauma. I had surgery 10 or 15 years ago. <clears throat> I was supposed to be outpatient. It ended up being an overnight thing. The doctor had assured me beforehand that I would be back to work in a couple of days. This is no big deal. You'd be back to work in a couple of days. And I was. But I still hurt. And I still hurt a month later when I went back to him for the follow-up appointment. After what he had said, I thought, Something needs to, something's wrong here. So when he asked me how I was doing, I told him, I still hurt. You know what he said to me? What'd you expect? <laughs> then after I picked him up, <laughs> forgiveness sets the break of sin right. And we can get back to the work of the kingdom of God quickly. But the pain can persist. And it can get worse. It will get worse. Get infected if we keep picking at it. Don't go over and over the wrong done to you, even in your own mind. Leave it to God and then leave it alone, even if you have to leave it to God seven times in a day or 77 times or seven times 70 times. 
But as you go to him again and again for his help in this, your soul gets tied to him by a thousand cords. See, the determination to live in forgiveness becomes the instrument of your transformation into Christ's likeness, which is why some of the most beautiful people who've ever lived were people who had suffered the most injustice. If you're having trouble forgiving or even wanting to forgive, let me suggest some additional steps that I think will help. First, when you leave here today, pick up the booklet on forgiveness we have out in the lobby. If you go out that door and turn to your right, there are a set of tables and a little information banner. You'll find it there. Pick up that booklet. It summarizes much of what I've said this morning, and many people over the years have found it helpful. If we run out, we'll just print some more and find it next week. Secondly, read Matthew 18. Write this down. Read Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, at least twice this week. Matthew 18. 21 through 35, read it at least twice. Let it sink in. It is important for you to understand that this issue is of the utmost importance. The condition of your soul is at stake. Don't go along in unforgiveness and bitterness. Third, ask God to show you. But be sure you allow him opportunity to do it. Ask God to show you how he forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's the one who's been forgiven much and knows it, who loves much. And it's the one who loves much, who forgives much. See, if you don't believe that you've ever really required forgiveness, you're going to find it really difficult to extend to others. But when you see how great and absolute is your need for forgiveness, your need, and how entirely dependent you are upon the grace of another to receive it, It will draw grace from your own heart towards others. So ask God to show you how he's forgiven you. And then one final thing. If Christians bear an identifying mark, it's love. That's John 13. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. If love bears an identifying mark, you can pick it out anywhere in the world. It's forgiveness. We will be known as Christ's disciples by our love, but our love will be known by our forgiveness. Now let's pray. God, this is so important, and it's one of those things we don't want to look at, think about. We've evaded it and avoided it for so long. But, Lord, I pray that you will not allow us to be comfortable doing that anymore. Bring us into the glorious freedom of the children of God, not only by being forgiven all our sins, but by forgiving all those who sin against us. For Jesus' sake.